السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. It would be great if we can, like gathered, mashallah, if we can gather even closer, inshallah. That would be amazing to see us moving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let us show brotherhood, let us show unity at this time of difficulty when the ummah is breaking to pieces. Let us try and be at least one whilst in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at least symbolically, at least outwardly. When we do it outwardly, Allah will make it inwardly as well. When we study the narrations of the Prophet ﷺ that deal with standing in the rows for salah, the Prophet ﷺ advised, stand straight and ensure the rows are straight. And due to the straightness of the rows, Allah will straighten the hearts. And then in the same narration, he's saying that the crookedness of the rows will cause crookedness in the hearts. So from this, we learn something that the outward also makes a massive impact as well. So let us at least look one. I know we're very divided, unfortunately, may Allah remove our differences and unite our hearts and bring us together. But the least we can do is those of us who don't have any ailments, any back pain, any issues, any health conditions, if we can leave the walls and join the gathering, inshallah. We understand those who are elderly, those who are ill, or those maybe who've been working from morning till now and they want a little bit of a rest. All welcome. Everybody's forgiven in such gatherings. We're here at the end of such gatherings. An angel makes an announcement that, Qumu maghfuran lakum. That when you go from this gathering, you're going to go in a condition that all your sins will be forgiven. One angel asks, Oh Allah, there was a person who came to this gathering. He didn't come to listen to the talk. He wasn't making dhikr. His intention wasn't to be part of the rest of the people. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that Allah says, Humul qawm la yashqa jalisuhum. These are such a people, nobody is deprived. Even he is forgiven as well. So regardless which intention, we should have a good intention, but regardless which intention you attend the gatherings of deen, everybody is blessed. The mercy of Allah encompasses everybody. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhin astafa amma ba'd. Fa'audhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسائد الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد وقال الله سبحانه وتعالى ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجا لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة إن في ذلك لآيات لقوم يتفكرون وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إن أعظم النكاه بركة أيسره مؤونا أو كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم if we study the entire life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his most noble companions, one thing we find, their lives were very, very simple. There was no pomp, there was no show, and there was nothing about impressing others. And this is totally opposite to the way we're living today. Everything we do today, it's all about show, impressing other people, and making others happy. That's Everything, everything rotates about that. Whenever we're about to do anything, when it comes to marriage especially, it's all about what are people going to say? Will we fit in? Will it look right? Are people going to laugh at me? This is every action we take, this is the thought that comes to our mind first. If you study the life of the Prophet ﷺ and the noble companions, they were very, very far from this. 
there was nothing that they didn't they didn't strive to make an image there was no image that they were trying to be someone who they weren't never you find a sahabi was trained to be who they're not no they were told be yourself you are an individual you're a great person yourself allah has made you someone special be yourself why are you trying to fit in somebody else's shoes why are you trying to be someone who you're not so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the sahaba radiyallahu anhum their lives were full of they were very simple people to the point what you saw is what you got what was in there was outside what was outside was inside and this is a synopsis of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the sahaba ikram simple and modest and if you want to sum up islam in two simple words somebody grabs you on the street a non muslim and asks you describe islam i'll give you two words only i only want two simple words no more i don't want a lecture what will you say ideal explanation islam is a life of simplicity and modesty that's what islam is very and this is something unique you find the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in everything they did the way they conducted themselves the way they went about their day to day activities the way they had their shared their happiness the way in their sadness it was simple and it was modest and there was no idea of creating a false image of being someone you're not may allah give us the understanding there's an english saying that goes i love people who openly hate me i love people who openly hate me and i hate people who pretend to love me someone openly hates you swears at you is vulgar to you it's fine you you understand them you know what to expect and you appreciate it i appreciate your behavior with me so i know, i know who i'm dealing with by hate people who pretend to love me that in front of you they're very nice and sweet mashallah shabbas you're the best there's no one better than you and as soon as you turn it all starts rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam prophesized this more than 1400 years ago that a time is going to come that there are going to be people externally they will be brothers internally they will be enemies outwardly they'll show that they love you and this is the life that we're living today this very fake false hypocritical life and we're all sinking in the same sea or the ocean of hypocrisy everybody we're all included sorry for offending you if i have done but this is the true reality that we are all going in this same direction where it's a very false image that we're trying to create impressing other people trying to fit in youngsters elders all of us in our different different ways and we've got our different challenges so this is the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and sahaba that is not what they were one description about them was aqalluhum takallufan and this i find this really amazing aqalluhum takallufan a description given regarding the sahaba many descriptions have been given of how to describe how they were one of the ways they were described aqalluhum takallufan they were the least pretentious people they weren't fake they were original they were who they were they didn't fake anything they didn't pretend or put an act on or try and create an image of themselves aqalluhum takallufan whether it was within their own even with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam they didn't pretend to act all holy they were who they were and 
you got, what you saw is what you got. May Allah make us like this. So this is our life today, this is our challenge today, this is a dilemma that we're facing today, that we buy things we don't need with the money that we don't own to impress people we don't know. We buy things we don't need with the money that we don't have. Do we have all the money that we're using? Okay. How many of us are sinking in our overdrafts? How many of us are sinking due to our credit cards? How many of us are sinking because of our loans? So, and imagine this marriage that we're about to talk about in Nikah, starting off this union in debt, starting off this union with an overdraft. That union which was supposed to be so blessed, so unique, but just because you wanted to impress people who you don't even know, who don't care about you, to create that false image of someone who you're not, you incurred that debt and that loan and that overdraft, and it's carried on with you. And people think, wow, these people, you know, they're amazing, they're enjoying their life, they've gone on their honeymoon, only you know how you're being killed inside, and thinking, how am I going to return this money? May Allah give us the understanding. So we buy things we don't need, with money we don't own, to impress people who we don't know. A survey was carried out and every year, according to this survey, 20,000 suicides are committed and the only reason for these are, from all the suicides, the thousands and thousands that are committed, 20,000 suicides are committed due to credit card debt alone, 20,000 a year. Another survey was carried out in India. The second greatest cause of death is suicide in India. A lot of us are from India, or if not India, well, near there. The second, and 20,000 suicide cases were studied, and the cause was what? Credit card debt. You spend and spend and spend and spend what you don't have, and then you realize it's too late. A person is not able to owe it back. There's no way. And then this is why Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in one dua, he said, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-kufri wa dayn. Oh Allah, I seek your protection from kufr, disbelief, and debt. Sahabi said, Oh Prophet of Allah, how come you put these two things together in the dua? They're two different things. I mean, it's not wrong to be in debt or take a loan. It's not wrong. Even the Prophet ﷺ at the time of need took a loan. So it's not wrong. So the Sahabi said, O oh, Prophet of Allah, you're, you're like, it's as if you've equated kufr and... It's like in the Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about alcohol being impermissible. He couples it with gambling. And he says, إِنَّمَا الْخَمْرُ وَالْمَيْسِرُ وَالْأَنصَابُ وَالْأَزْلَامُ رِجْسٌ مِنْ عَمَلِ الشَّيْطَانِ فَاجْتَنِبُوا So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying, he's putting them in one sentence. So he says, O Prophet of Allah, أَتَعْدِلُ الْكُفْرَ وَالْدَّيْنِ That debt and kufr, you're, you're equating them? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Naam, yes. And the scholars of hadith have gone on to explain that when a person takes a loan, and for whatever reason is not able to repay and you get into trouble then a person to either dodge this or to try and repay this 
will do certain things which will be equal to kufr, which will lead a person to do things which are kufr activities. May Allah protect us and safeguard us. So we want to look at the lives of Sahaba radiallahu anhum and take some inspiration. We'll never become like them. But one aspect we're going to look at is the nikah the Sahaba carried out and the blessings this brought to their lives. The topic of today, you must have seen obviously on the posters and on social media, you've seen it's the most blessed marriage. Now, in English we say marriage, but specifically today's topic is about the most blessed nikah itself. We're not talking about the married life afterwards. We've spoken on that many times before and inshallah in future as well. And maybe we'll cover parts of that as well. But what the focal point is the nikah itself, the nikah, the ceremony, the act of making something haram, halal. This is what we're going to speak about. And the focal point is based on the hadith of the Prophet where the Prophet has said, Inna a'zaman nikahi barakatan aysaruhu ma'una. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, the most blessed nikah, that nikah which has the most blessings, the divine rahmah and the mercy and the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, aysaruhu ma'una, is the one in which that now, some of you might get a bit disappointed um, when you start hearing what I'm going to say. The following things might disappoint a lot of you. Some of you might even call me a killjoy. Because I know there's a lot of you who are not married and you've been dreaming and preparing yourselves and parents as well. Maybe, you know, we've only got one son or we've only got one daughter. And you might have been dreaming for this golden opportunity to just splash out and have that grand wedding that you're thinking about. You might, and my aim is to try and change your mind and brainwash you during this session today in a good way, in the prophetic way, for your own benefit. But some of you might get a bit disappointed with what you'll hear and some of you might find it a little bit difficult to digest. It's just because it's not the norm today. But it, as, it's my duty to share with you what the truth is. And the Prophet ﷺ has put it very beautifully, There's many of us who are already married. Raise your hand if you're married already. Okay, so... I'd say half, half. I'm assuming the rest of you are not married. Yeah? Some of you are half married or secretly married. Okay, we've got a lot of secret marriages as well nowadays. Another interesting topic. Let's not, let's not go too far. Some of your parents are sitting and some are watching from home as well. Anyway, so at the time of nikah, whether it's your own, whether it's a family member, um, or whether it's someone you don't even know, one thing which is which everybody does. Whoever you meet, before your nikah, after the nikah, what do you say to them? You're requesting for du'as, aren't you? Everybody's saying, please make du'a, please make du'a. What, what are you asking for? You're making du'a for, for barakah, that Allah puts barakah, Allah puts barakah. Make du'a, make du'a, make du'a. Everybody makes du'a, everybody wants that du'a. Who doesn't want du'a? Who doesn't want barakah? Okay, we all want it. Without that, we're nothing, we're destroyed. Now the Prophet ﷺ is telling us very clearly in this hadith that if you want barakah in your nikah, if you want barakah in that ceremony, follow this guideline, you will have the most barakah. And the more you go against this, 
you will have the least barakah or no barakah whatsoever. Now some of you are probably thinking, you should have told this advice to us before, we're already married now, what do we do? Well, that's a different topic, we'll deal with that later on. Let's deal with the newbies at the moment. The Prophet ﷺ has said, inna he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says the nikah in which there is the most barakah is the one in which the least expense is incurred. The least money is spent. The least effort is exerted. I'm not trying to be a killjoy here and saying don't do anything at all. We'll come to that. Okay, we, we, times have changed. We're not saying that, you know, copy and imitate the sahaba exactly as they did it and, you know, just put a little piece of cloth out and tell everybody to bring a kajuri. I'm not telling you to do that. But let us try and understand, in today's climate, this is possible, it can be done. Some people are doing it, most of us aren't doing it. You probably, a lot of you probably never heard this before. We've always heard the opposite because that's what we're so used to. Okay, the grand flashy weddings, the symbolic wedding. You know, it has to be boom. Everybody has to talk about it. Everybody has to go on about it. Everybody has to love it. It's about everybody, isn't it? It's about everybody, whether I can afford it or not, whether Allah is happy with it or not, whether it breaks the commands of Sharia or not, it doesn't matter. Whether I, you know, it's within my means or not, no. Everybody has to be impressed. Most people aren't usually. They complain regardless, no matter how hard you try, you know most of the times people are not happy. It's impossible to please everybody. Anyhow, so the Prophet ﷺ has advised the most blessed nikah is the one in which the least expense is incurred. Now, a general principle in the world we see, something that becomes very common, becomes very, very easy, even if it's difficult. Something that becomes very common, becomes very easy to do. Even if that actual thing is very difficult, but because it's so common and everyone's doing it, it becomes very easy. And something that's difficult, something that becomes uncommon, becomes very difficult to do, even if it's very, very easy. And we can apply this to weddings. So to have that flashy and jazzy and extortionate wedding, because it's so common, it's easy. Whereas it's so difficult to do in reality. And on the contrary, to have a simple wedding, to spend the least as possible on it, within obviously understanding and according to your capability, but to not waste and be extravagant, because people aren't doing it, what happens? It's so difficult. What are people going to say? What are people going to call us? That we weren't even invited. They didn't even do this. They didn't even have one of these on the wedding. The guy didn't even turn up in a flashy car. He came in his own car. There are so many expectations, so many expectations, which we're all bound by. And we think, until we don't have all of these, I can't get married. Whereas the advice of the Sharia is, as soon as a suitable boy and a suitable girl, you found them, they have found each other, or your parents, or however you've gone about it, as soon as you have found a good pair, the boy and the girl, they like their deen, they like their character, get married instantly. Do not delay. There's no concept of delaying. Why do we delay our nikah? Why is it delayed? Very petty reasons. Very, very... There's no concept of delaying the nikah at the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now just digressing from there, I want to mention an important point. And nikah is not a cultural practice. 
Nikah is not a custom. Nikah isn't something you do for the buzz of it. Nikah is not something materialistic. It's not a worldly pursuit. Nikah is an ibadah. Nikah is an act of worship. What is nikah? Always keep this principle in mind. Nikah is an act of worship. This is why in Islam, when you find a suitable spouse, the advice is go about this ibadah quickly, straight away, no delay. Get it done, make it halal and move on. You can do what you want afterwards, but nikah should be done in instantly. Don't hang around, do not wait, don't waste any time. Suitable partners have been found. And the Prophet Wasallam's time, this was done in such a manner. I'll give you one small example. If you remember one of the previous talks we had, we spoke about Jabir radiallahu anhu in detail. So we're not going to go into the, in, into the length of the story. But just one aspect. One day the Prophet Wasallam saw Jabir radiallahu anhu. And there was a stain, a yellow stain on his clothing. And it was a stain of a, a special type of perfume which wasn't applied every day, only on happy and special occasions. So the Prophet ﷺ on seeing this yellowness on Jabir, it's like nowadays if somebody brings a box of habshialwa or something and start distributing, you say, hey, what's the occasion? What, you know, what's going on? You know, what, 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 what do you not know? So he saw, and he said to him, Jabir, what's the occasion? I mean, you're looking quite fancy. You've got this stain of this perfume on your clothing. What's happened? So Jabir says, the Prophet of Allah got married. No. The Prophet of Allah didn't even know that a close companion of his had got married. Did he take offense? Whoa, you didn't. What, you, Prophet of Allah, you didn't tell me? You didn't inform me? I wasn't given weeks' notice? And Jabir radiallahu anhu didn't feel obliged that I have to go out of my way and tell everybody, and everybody has to know, otherwise, what's going to happen and what are they going to say about me? No. This is the Prophet of Allah. Prophet very casually said, Jabir, that's great news. So was it a virgin or a non-virgin you got married to? So look, look how he's broken down. Even if there was any kind of, you know, feeling in the heart of Jabir, the Prophet wasn't informed. The Prophet came so down to earth. And Jabir, you know, the girl you got married to, was she married before? Or is it someone who's, you know, never been married before? The Prophet Jabir said, No, I got married to a woman who's been married previously. You know, my father's passed away in the battle of Uhud. He's left behind for me nine sisters to look after. And for me to do that alone, it was a task. So I got married to an elderly lady who's got some experience and will give me some kind of support as well. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, Okay, good on you, Jabir. So can you see? It, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't something we've made it out into such a big deal that today what happens is there is now fear, this concern. Now what happens is a person is worried. How am I going to get married? Because there's so many expectations. And then what happens, time goes by and the years go by. Obviously we don't remain young forever. The boy is now reaching 30, 35. The girl has reached 30, 35. And, because, and then time goes. And then we have so many who unfortunately have just not ended up getting married. Why? Because of these delays, unnecessary delays that we have. Shaykh al-Hadith Mawlana Muhammad Zakariya Nawarallahu Marqadahu was a great personality. And he used to get very annoyed when it used to come on this particular topic. And the way people used... Now he was a very simple person. 
And he used to say that nikah is an ibadah. It's a worship. Just like performing two rakat salah. Two rakat salah, nafal salah, is an act of ibadah, isn't it? When you're about to perform two rakat salah, do you make a massive announcement and start writing invitation to everybody? Hey, I'm praying two rakat salah. Everybody, make sure you attend. So he, this is the example he gave. Again, I'm not saying here that don't invite people. Today, that is a simple way of inviting people, of sending them cards, fine. Or you can send a card that is a pound or two pound, or you can send a card that's 20, 30, 40 pound each as well. Again, it, there's a difference and wasting money and extravagance. So he used to say that it's an ibadah. Keep it as, as an ibadah. When you perform an act of ibadah, be conscious. When you're performing two rakat salah, it's not like the whole world needs to know and you're doing it to impress everybody. It's an ibadah, it's a worship. It's not something that's a, a, a worldly pursuit. You're doing an ibadah, keep that in mind. And this is how uh, he would say that there's too many formalities nowadays. May Allah give us the understanding. Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now you tell me, did Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu have, did he or did he, did he not have uh, any accolades next to his name? Wasn't he a great person? And if we start talking about Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, you know, time will pass because there were so many things attributed to him. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu not only was just the ma'adhin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam throughout his entire life, there was an occasion where the Prophet ﷺ heard the footsteps of Bilal in Jannah in front of him. And he said on the day of judgment, when Nabi ﷺ will rise, Abu Bakr on his right, Umar on his left, Bilal will rise from in front of him calling the Adhan. And he says, oh Bilal, what is it? I hear your footsteps in paradise. This was Bilal. How did Bilal this noble celebrity, I call him a celebrity, he was a celebrity. How did he go about getting married? So did he like put all these, he could have had a brilliant CV. Imagine he put all these things down. I know there's some communities um, where, you know, you have to send a CV. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be racist here. I'm just talking about the reality. And this is what happens. So Bilal radiallahu anhu could have had an amazing CV. And we've all got different traditions and customs. Um, so. Some customs are where, you know, both sides ask for a CV. They want to see. Now you know how truthful these CVs are. Okay, every, most of you have filled in a CV. And what, what's, what, what is it about a CV? You want to make yourself sound as charismatic and passionate and hardworking and talented and team player. You've never been a team player. I'm a team player and all of these kind of things. You put all that in. Why? It's just to impress people. Bilal radiallahu could have had an amazing CV. He didn't take any CV with him. He went with his brother. So Bilal and his brother, they both go. And they had found out about a particular girl. So they thought, cut all formalities. We're going straight to the father-in-law, potential father-in-law. So they went straight to the house, knocked on the door. Didn't even take a middleman. They didn't even say, oh, Prophet of Allah, will please put a word in. None of that. They cut it all out to the point, keep it simple. They went to the door, knocked on the door. The far, potential father-in-law opens the door. Bilal, listen to this. Bilal radiallahu anhu says, Ana Bilalun wahada akhi. This is his intro. He didn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know my footsteps can be heard in Jannah? What do you know? How many times have you given adhan in the masjid? I give it every day. I even climbed on top of the Kaaba in Fathu Makkah. No, no, none of that. None of that. He said, Ana Bilalun wa hada akhi. There was nothing about impressing other people. 
creating a false image like today. And then we've got people saying that, you know, this is very common from the youth. Most of them say that how do you expect us to get married to a girl after speaking to her for only 10-15 minutes? How can we make that decision of our life? Isn't this common? Are a lot of you thinking this now? It's in your minds. And I've had this question from many of you before. That, you know, how do you expect us? Well, even if we were to allow you, it's not allowed. But if dating per se was, well, we're very fake anyway. We're never real. That time that's spent is not real. You can't understand each other. Being dating and marriage are two different things. When you're dating, it's, you're trying to impress each other constantly. And you know, you're being so careful around each other. Whereas when you're married, it's about sharing responsibilities, which you don't get any experience of whilst you're dating. Because you've not stepped into those shoes yet. It's a, it's a game changer. It's totally different. You ask people who are married, and you know, they're really excited before they were going to get married. And after they've got married, that smile's not as big. It's big, but it's not as big. Because they know it's... it's it's not, it's not a game. It's something serious. You're not dating somebody. You've made a commitment to be responsible for the rest of your life, to fulfill each other's rights. And it's not easy. It's a challenge. Every day is a new challenge. Anyhow. So he says, Ana Bilalun wahada akhi. I am Bilal, and this is my brother. This is the introduction. Then he said, the second line, Abadani min al-habasha. We are African slaves. That's who we are. You want to know who we are? You didn't say I'm a Chaudhry, I'm a Raja, I'm a Patel, okay? Or I'm this or I'm that. Or I'm from here or I'm from there. None of this. Okay? Abadani min al-habasha. You know, we, what we, what we, he, he went on to say, Abadani min al-habasha. This is his introduction. And again, going back to, how, what, what do we, when, we, when we try and you know, impress somebody what, what do we say We've got all of these things about us I'm like this and I'm like that And I'll do this for you And I'll go head over heels for you None of it's true anyway or Half of it's true And it's and mixed it with a lot of lies as well Clear to the point Abadani min al-habasha Then he said Kunna dhalleen fahdan Allah Wa kunna abdain fa'ataqan Allah We were misguided. There was a time where we didn't know the truth. We've had a past. We were bad people. Didn't hide it. He didn't say, yeah, yeah, I've been a namazi all my life. Okay, whereas you only started two weeks ago because you wanted to get married and you wanted to get the approval of the father-in-law to see that you're a religious person. No, no, no. There was no fakeness there. What did they say? We were astray. Allah guided us. We were slaves. Allah has set us free. In tankahuna falhamdulillah. If you give your daughter to either one of us, Alhamdulillah. Praises to Allah, not us. Praises to Allah. And for whatever reason, if you decline our proposal, Fallahu Akbar. Allah will sort us out with somebody else. There's plenty of fish in the sea, as I say. So Allah will sort us out with somebody else. It's your choice. There's no pressure. Akbar. And they move on. So this is Sayyidina Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Look at the incident of Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. 
Prophet Musa, now, there's a lot of taboo topics within our community. I, I want to try and debunk some of these misconceptions as well within the few moments that we've got. I'm taking an opportunity from this particular session, inshallah, where we can try and um, remove some of these myths that we have. So look at the life of Musa alayhi salam. Prophet Musa alayhi salam, um, the incident goes where he... Cutting the long story short, Musa alayhi salam was invited to the house of Shu'ib alayhi salam. Shu'ib alayhi salam's daughters were favored by Musa alayhi salam. He helped them out. He did something for them. He carried out a task for them. They reported back to the father. The father said, go and call him. We have to pay him back. He's, he's helped you. So now remember, Musa alayhi salam is in, in, in no man's land, in an unknown land. He doesn't know where he is. He's invited by Prophet Shu'ib alayhi salam. Musa alayhi salam comes home. One of the daughters tells the father, Oh father, dad, why don't you keep him, employ this guy? Keep him as one of our workers in the orchard. And she said two qualities. And very beautifully the Quran has put the two qualities. If anybody is an employer and you're looking for the ideal candidate and the ideal person to take on a job. Allah's, in, in this verse, Allah has put the two qualities in one ayah. And the two are in the khay- and she. This is the words of the daughter of Musa uh, Shu'ib salam. She says, "Dad, why don't you keep this guy? Keep him as a worker. Employ him in the khayra man al amin. Because the best type of worker you can have is one who is number one hardworking and number two trustworthy. If you've got somebody who's hardworking but not trustworthy, what will happen? They'll work hard. There'll be no money left." You've got somebody who's trustworthy, but not hardworking. It's not going to work as well. If you've got somebody who's hardworking and trustworthy, this is the ideal person. So Quran has beautifully put these two qualities together. How, do they, how does the daughter of Shu'ib know that Musa salam is hardworking and trustworthy? How? The way she knows is when they were trying to take the water out from the well and there were men surrounding them and the women and the, these two girls, sisters couldn't reach the well. Musa alayhi salam, what he did, he moved the men out of the way and there was a lid on top of the well which you had to lift and several men were required to actually lift this. Musa alayhi salam lifted this by himself. From this they realized he's strong, he's hard working. How did they know he was trustworthy? Because when Shu'ib said, go and call him, one of the daughters came very modestly and said, my father is calling you to repay you for the favor that you did to us. So she said, he said, okay, you know, I've got nowhere else to go anyway. I'll come with you. Musa starts going, she's showing the way. Musa stops her and says, sister, it will be better. You walk behind me, I'll walk in front of you. It's not suitable that I walk behind you. That you're a lady, you're a female, and I'm walking behind you and I can see you and your movement. You walk behind me, I'll walk in front of you. If I need to turn right, flick a stone on the right. If I need to go left, flick a stone on the left. Otherwise, I'll carry on straight. From this, she realized that he's very honest and modest and trustworthy. Trustworthy. May Allah make us trustworthy. So, Musa has now been employed by Shu'ib salam. And not only did Shu'ib employ him, he also proposed to him. And he said, Musa, would you be interested in marrying my daughter? This is a taboo in our community. The girl side can't propose. 
What the girl side proposed? They, some people say this, don't they? What? Bisharam. You know, these people have no shame. They, they, the girl side proposed? No. Shu'ib this is why did Allah mention this in the Quran? It's an example for you and I. There's nothing wrong with this. We need to get rid of these taboo things that we've got within our communities. If the girl side want to propose, they find somebody suitable. The father's seen somebody who's nice and would like his daughter to get married. Of course, he has all the right to propose. And there's nothing wrong with this whatsoever. So he took this forward and Musa accepted. And eventually Musa got married to the daughter of Shu'ib Let's look at the life of a Sahabi. Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Salman the Persian. Lengthy story. Some say he lived till the age of 250. And we hear about his story and how he sought the truth. We're not going to go into that. We're going to speak about his nikah in particular. Salman himself was such an amazing individual. that The Prophet ﷺ says that whilst we, whilst we anticipate Jannah, Jannah is in anticipation of Salman. Whilst we anticipate Jannah, Jannah is in anticipation for Salman radiallahu anhu. And on one occasion when the Muhajireen and the Ansar were fighting over Salman, because Salman had come from Persia. So he wasn't a migrant, nor was he a helper. He wasn't a Muhajir or an Ansari. So they were fighting. They were saying Salman is from the Muhajireen because he's left his place and he's come and joined us here. And the people of Medina said, no, he's come to Medina Munawwara. He is a person of Medina now. So he's an Ansari. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam intervened. And he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Salman minna alul bayt. Salman is not a muhajir. He's not an Ansari. Salman is one of my household. One of the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He belongs to me. So this is the praise of Salman radiallahu anhu from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, Regarding Salman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Salman had got married. His nikah was done to a girl from Yemen. So his friends found out. So when the friends of Salman radiallahu anhu found out that Salman is now married, and it's now the special day, the big day where he's going to you know, pick up his wife and go and meet his wife and see her, the friends asked him, that, can we accompany you? You know, it's such a big day, such a special occasion. Can we come and tag along with you? Of course, we want to be with you. Salman says, by all means, it's a pleasure for you, for you to support me at this time of happiness. Come along. So the friends of Salman, anhu, they continue going with Salman to the house where his new wife is residing and she is now waiting for him and he's going to meet her. When they reach the house, Salman al-Farsi turned to his friends and he said to them, Jazakallahu khayran. May Allah reward you. You came with me all this way. May Allah reward you. I'm very happy that you came. And it's your time to go now. Very clear, very honest, to the point. What you thought Salman was going to take his friends in to meet his wife and introduce his wife? No. This is what the ignorant people do. That you get married and you introduce your wife to your friends. And this is what happens. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with that? It's very normal. We all do that. I, you know, my, all my mates know my wife. Right? Uh, and, you know, they, 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 they talk to her, they chat with her. They... Salman radiallahu anhu did not do what ignorant people do. Where he introduced his friends to his wife. No. 
He was very polite, courteous, and to the point, Jazakallahu khayran. Up to this stage, you've come with me. I can't let you pass from here. This is between, this is me and my wife now. She doesn't belong to you. She belongs to me. And I appreciate you came with me, but this is where it stops. How often do we find that a person's wife has been violated and cheated on by his own friend? How often do we hear this? Who's to blame? The Prophet ﷺ has used a very heavy, heavy word for those people who are very comfortable and allow other men and other guys to flirt with their wife and their daughters. He's used a very heavy word. You know what he's called them? The youth. Some people know this word as like a, a, a vulgar swear. That's people use them and call people the youth. This is used by the Prophet ﷺ. He said that person is a the youth who allows other people to flirt with his wife or with his daughters or the women of his family. That is your precious jewel which belongs to you. Safeguard it. Hold it tight. And then it's very sad to say this. But you've got things like, you know, things which would, we would never imagine. Of course, as we're getting closer to Qiyamah, things like this are going to happen. And it's becoming more and more common. Within Muslim events, you're having things which are, I, I, I feel so disgusted for even saying it. Wife swapping. Happening at Muslim events. Muslim events. You know, if, if it's the non doing it, you know, it's to a degree we, we understand there's no deen, there's no understanding. Muslim events, people with beards, people who understand the deen. But when we've let, let go of our values and the teachings of simplicity and of what nikah was supposed to be about, you know, then there's no stopping us. May Allah protect us, may Allah guide us. So, today people frown upon this kind of behavior. This is the deen, in this there is protection. In this there is protection for you, for your family members, and especially for the females of our family. May Allah give us the understanding. Now, in the Bani Israel, an incident took place. There was a king. And the king became impressed with the beauty of a woman. This woman was a very simple woman. She was, she was married to a farmer. So it's the farmer's wife. So on one side you've got the king, and on the other side you've got the farmer's wife. There's no comparison whatsoever. So he's in his palace. They've got a very, very simple life. So it's the farmer and his wife. Somehow the king fell in love with the wife of this farmer. And he somehow found a way to entice her. So he sent her a message and said, look, break off with your husband. Come and get married to me. I will give you all the wealth you need. I'll adorn you with silk. You will wear silk 365. Every day you will wear silk. You'll have all the wealth that you want. And you'll have all the slaves around you to do whatever you say to them, they will be ready at your service, at your command. And any type of jewelry you want, you name it, you have it. The woman fell in the trap. The woman fell in the trap. There were loose ends on both sides. The woman fell in the trap. And what she did, she thought, well, I need to get out of my current marriage. How do I do this? So she decided to be a cow, basically at home. She, simple words. Let's, let's, let's talk how we all understand. 
she decided that she's going to be nasty and horrible to the husband. Husband comes home. He's been working all day, farming away. Comes home and he understands straight away there's something wrong. Like, what's wrong? She's really hostile towards him. Like, what's the matter? Have I said anything? Have I done anything? I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. They say behind every successful man, there is a woman. Have you heard this saying? Behind every successful man, there is a woman. And behind every mad woman, there is a man who doesn't know what he's done wrong next. So if a woman's mad, it's because of a man. But he doesn't know what he's done. Like, what, what, did, I, what did I do now? Like, the guy's thinking all of from yesterday, a day before. Yesterday was fine. This morning was okay. Everything was okay. I've not done anything. I've not said anything. Anyhow, so the man's like thinking, what have I done? Everything's been so fine. I, I, I've not changed in any way. She says, look, this is the new me now. It's my way or the highway. You accept me as I am. Otherwise, let go. Why are you holding on to me? And he thinks like, this woman's changed. And this continued for some time until the man, he couldn't take it anymore. And I said, look, you're actually compelling me to let go of you. She says, go on then. So inevitably what happens, he had to divorce her. She wanted it. And now what happens, there's a story in Bani Israel this takes place. This woman now comes to the king. And now the king has become a cause for a break in a marriage. To break a family. To tear apart individuals who are a unit and to break them apart. This is the work of shaitan. And today we don't have, it's not just shaitan in the form of shaitan. We have shaitanul ins. We have humans who do this as well. Humans who like to break people up. May Allah make us people who reconcile and never break. May Allah reconcile all of us, keep us together. So what happens is the woman now comes to the king and they meet in seclusion. And they're excited, they're happy. They've got this dream in front of them that they're going to start this new life. So they begin to embrace each other. And as they hold each other and bring each other close, Allah snatches away their eyesight. And their hands become paralyzed. The scholars of hadith mention that that dream which they envisaged and they dreamt of, nor were they able to see it, nor were they able to he feel it, nor were they able to experience it. They were deprived. May Allah protect us. Had they had active, healthy relations with the simple life that they were living already, and the king was happy the way he was living, he wouldn't have come to this. It can be simple, but remember, it'll be blessed. And we can make it all fancy and jazzy and try to please other people, but we don't have the deen and the simplicity and the modesty. No matter how hard you may try, the blessing won't be there. May Allah protect us. Anyhow, coming back to the story of Salman al-Farsi. So Salman al-Farsi radiallahu ta'ala anhu did not invite the friends in the house. He didn't introduce his wife to his friends. When he entered the house, he looked around and he saw that the whole house had been decorated. It was all well prepared and decorated. Like it was all draped. Like there was all this uh, embellishment and everything hanging from the walls and the doors. Now remember who this is. This is a Sahabi. Okay. He's come from Medina Munawwara. He's come to Yemen and he's finding this, you know, quite strange. And these remember were very simple and modest people. So he said, O people of the house, 
Uh, I want to ask you a question about the house. Is your house ill that you've put bandages all around it? Or has the Kaaba moved from Mecca to Yemen? Like you've got, you've, you've got like cloth and everything on the walls and everything. So, you know, has the Kaaba moved or something? And the people of the house said, no, 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 no. Our house isn't sick. It's not ill. These are not bandages. And the Kaaba has surely not moved. It's still in Mecca. We just thought, you know, it's a special occasion. We wanted to do something nice for you. He goes, I understand. I understand. However, the teachings that I have received from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was inna that the most blessed nikah is the one in which there is least expenses incurred. And I want the greatest of blessings. Could I please request that you take off all of this? So he actually got it all taken. He goes, just leave one of them, the one that's on the front door. And this is for privacy. Because, because what's going to happen now is between me and my wife. So he goes, leave that one, fine. I accept, let's make a compromise. Leave this one, the one that's on the front door, covering the main door and the window. Leave that one. Salman now enters. Now, what he finds is there's all these gifts laden. And he says, what's all this? Because these are all gifts that we've bought and the people of the neighborhood are prepared. Jazakallahu khairan. I really appreciate this. You've done me a great favor. However, if you allow, I would like to give some of this into sadaqah. Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anhu gave some of this away. Now, we're like delaying our marriages because of all of these small things of the deco. We've not found matching clothing yet. The handbag doesn't match. The accessories, okay, don't match yet. Okay, so we're delaying. Or oh, so-and-so can't come until three months down the line. So because of so-and-so, or oh, the cook's not available. This is a very common one. The cook's not available. Why? Because he's too busy cooking. And the boy and the girl are too busy hooking. You don't care about that. Okay, he's cooking. They're hooking. And parents don't mind. Let them do what they want. Haram is haram. But we know we have to have what we want. Otherwise people are going to, you know, they're going to write us off and say, these people had a rubbish wedding. You know, take them out. Kick them out of Birmingham. They don't is, is that really what's going to happen? They're going to take you off this planet. Nothing's going to happen. People will moan for two days and then they'll forget about it. That's what's going to happen. That's all that's going to happen. It's not that difficult. And we want to set some examples. You start, you set the trend of simplicity and modesty, you will see people will follow. At the moment, it's not being done. Or if it's being done, it's very, very little. We need to revive this, make it more common. So what if there's no one to play drums at your wedding? Is that even a good thing? Is that something good to do? You think your wedding is not going to be complete until the drummers don't arrive? So what? Do without it and see how Allah puts barakah, how Allah puts blessings. We want all the blessings, but everything we do is against inviting the blessings and the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah give us the understanding. Anyhow, so like I mentioned before, how are we starting off this marital bond, which was supposed to be on blessings? If we're starting this on a bad note, when I say bad note on debt, on overdrafts, on loans, you know, Luqman al-Hakim, He's given many advices to his son. And in the Quran, Allah has dedicated a chapter, Surah Luqman, and many of his advices are there. Some advices we find in other books as well, which are not in the Quran. One of the advices Luqman gave to his son was, Iyaka waddain. O my beloved son, be very, very careful of incurring a debt. 
Why? Because فَإِنَّهُ هَمٌّ بِاللَّيْلِ وَذُلٌّ بِالنَّهَارِ Because debt is throughout the night, it's a worry and it's a disgrace during the day. It doesn't leave you alone, it pesters you. At night time, you're, 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 you're in the most comfortable bed, but you can't sleep. Why? Because it's a pressure, it's a burden. And during the day, you're ducking and diving. You don't want to bump into that person. It's been two months already, three months already, and you're ducking and diving. So, this is uh, the advice of Luqman al-Hakim. So Salman al-Farisi radiallahu ta'ala anhu, what does he do? He tells his friends to go. Why? Because what's going to happen now is confidential. And the son came to the dad and said, Dad, what's the difference between confident and confidential? So the dad said, very simple, very easy. You're my son. I'm confident about that. Your friend is also my son, but that's confidential. Anyhow, for those of you who got it. So uh, you guys are falling asleep, so I'll wake you up. Anyhow, so... You know, you know, there are incidents like this. I'll tell you, this is a true story. That one wasn't. This is a true story now. True story. There was a man who was married. He had three children. Allah blessed him. He had three children. The youngest child, when the youngest child reached the age of six, the child developed uh, a condition, a very rare condition, and he was in desperate need for blood transfusion. Obviously, the blood groups have to match and everything. So the mother was obviously first called and she had to infuse some of the blood, give her the blood and it was infused. After some time, there was a further requirement for more blood. This time the father was called. When they did the checks on him, his blood group was totally different. Six years, this child has reached the age of six. And he had hidden it from his wife. This wife and these parents were bringing up this child. And the woman was thinking that this is his child. After six years, Allah opened it, exposed it. That this is somebody else's child. This is somebody else's child. The blood group didn't match. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened it and exposed it. And the, 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 the father realized at this time that the, the mother obviously had a, a, an illicit relationship. Anyhow, um, the point here is keeping it confidential, those issues which are private. The deen is there for a reason. The blessings and the barakah is in the deen. Stick to the deen, keep it halal. Allah will help, Allah will sustain, Allah will protect. Anyhow, so this healthy marriage is powerful enough. Look at the incident of Khadija, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He sallallahu it made him resilient. It helped him, it supported him. Otherwise, we can see the riches of the world, but we will see difficulty. May Allah protect us. So Salman radiallahu anhu, he met with his wife. He spent the night together. Next day, the friends of Salman radiallahu anhu came to him and said, Salman, how's it going? Yeah, alhamdulillah, good. How was it last night? How, how did everything go? He ignored them. So they asked again, somebody, yeah, come on, you ask. So somebody else asked, so, you know, how, how did, so, you know, did you, you know, did you go, did you do it? Did you, how, how, how did it go? Salman ignored them again. 
So they carried on pestering him. Come on, Salman, tell us, tell us some detail. Give us some more information. What, you know, what, what did you do? What did you not do? How did it go? After so much pestering and Salman trying to ignore them, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Salman said, guys, do you know there's a door on, on, at the front of my house? They go, yeah. Do you know why that door is there? They go, no. That door is there for privacy. I have a door in front of my house. Why? Because what happens in my house is private. That's between me and my wife. Why are you trying to find out all the details of what's happening between me and my wife? This is private. It's a private affair. And today we want to put everything onto social media. Now, if I don't, then you know I'm not going to look the part. I need to, you know, keep everyone updated. You know, I'm, I'm sitting down now. I'm standing up now. Now I'm in sujood. Subhana Rabbi al azim You know, and th <laughs> this is. This is the reality. This is how it's become. May Allah protect us. He said it's called privacy. Don't you understand something called privacy? He told his friends that you are my friends, yes, but there's something called privacy. May Allah give us the understanding of this. Abu Wada'a rahmatullah alayh. Interesting incident. Abu Wada'a rahmatullah alayh was a very pious person and he would very commonly visit the gathering of Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib. Now we don't have time, inshallah, maybe some other time we will speak about the personality of Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib rahmatullah alayh. The simple thing I'm going to tell you about him is Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, according to majority of the scholars and historians, they will tell you he is the most noble from all of the tabi'een. So you've got, you've got the prophets, right? From amongst the prophets, you know the Prophet sallallahu is the greatest. Okay? So prophets are prophets. We also understand Sahaba. That after the prophets, the greatest people are the Sahaba. And everybody in one voice amongst the Sahaba, who is the greatest? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, without any doubt, without any doubt, the greatest and the most noble from amongst the Sahaba, without any doubt, is Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Anybody who doubts this, there's a doubt in their iman. So you've got the Sahaba, there's no comparison to the Sahaba. When the Sahaba finish, then you've got another legacy, a golden era, which we call the Tabi'een or the Tabi'oon. So the people who accompanied and saw the Sahaba. From amongst the Sahaba, many are of the opinion, the greatest from amongst the, the Tabi'een is Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib rahmatullah Amazing individual, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib, remember this name, rahmatullahi alayhi. It's famous about Sayyid ibn al-Musayyib for 40 years, he didn't see the back of a musalli. He didn't see the back of a musalli. What does that mean? A musalli is a person who prays salah. He didn't see the back of a musalli for 40 years. What does that mean? For every single salah for 40 years, he was there in Masjid Nabi at the front, in the front row. Um, so this is just one thing about him. He had a whole legacy. Anyhow, so this person, Abu Wada'a, was a student of Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib He would regularly attend the gathering of Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib in Masjid Nabwi, regularly. So, and again, he'd sit right at the front, like Hassan does, mashallah. And then, when, you know when you have a regular attendee that goes missing, like someone did for some time, you start worrying and thinking, where is this guy? What's happened to him? So, exactly the same thing. Abu Wada'a one day went missing. No, he's always at the front. How come he's not in the gathering? What's, what's gone wrong? Something. So Sayyid ibn al-Musayyib asked the other people, anybody have any information? Do you, know, do you know where he's gone? Is he not well? What's happened? Nobody knew. Everybody said, we don't know. We have no idea whatsoever. 
So some people even looked around, they searched for me, but no one knew and no one found out. After some time, Abu Wada'a returned to the gathering. And as the gathering was taking place, Abu Wada'a came and sat down in his normal place. And when the gathering concluded, uh, Sa'id ibn Musayyib indicated to Abu Wada'a, like, see me after the gathering. So when everybody went, everybody dispersed, he asked him like, where have you been? So Abu Wada'a said, oh Ustad, oh my noble respected teacher, oh Sa'id ibn Musayyib my wife passed away. This is the reason I couldn't attend. I had to see to her rites, the funeral rites, um, her burial, dua, and all of this. So it was a tragic experience for me. And this is why I couldn't attend for the few days. Sa'id ibn Musayyib said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. May Allah you know, give you support at this time of difficulty. Had we known, we would have come and helped you and supported you. And you know, we would have been by your side. Abu Wada says, it's okay. Can you see the simplicity there as well? There was no, you know, there was no going out of your way to make sure people come and Sa'id ibn Musayyib has to come and so Hazrat has to come and so Shaykh has to come and putting them out. No, there was none of this. Um, so now look at the conversation. What's happened now? His wife's passed away. Sa'id ibn Musayyib said two things. One is said, Inna lillahi wa inna raji'un. You know, we, we feel remorse. And, you know, we would have supported you, but khair, it's done now. And he's about to go, and he says, come here. Uh, I just wanted to ask. So, you're looking to get married? Look, look at what he just said. He's consoling him. His wife's passed away. And he's just found out. He said to him, inna lillah. And we would have loved to support you. And the third sentence is, are you looking to get married? Now, this is again another topic within our communities where if somebody has had a partner who has passed away or a divorce has taken place, we look down upon someone for wanting to get married again. Or individuals feel bad and think, you know, what are people going to say? You know, are people going to say, oh, he was probably waiting to, for her to die? No, it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like that whatsoever. What's done is done. The sorrow is there. But those who are living have to move on. It's not being insensitive. It's not being insensitive. Yes, the occasion is there. There's sadness. If he was insensitive, when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave his daughter Ruqayya radiallahu anha to Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu an, and she was so ill, and because of her illness, Uthman was told not to go out in the path of Allah in Badr. It was Badr. He told him, don't go. Stay behind while your wife is ill. That is more important for you to do. Your wife is ill. Let the others go in the path of Allah. You stay behind. Your wife is ill. Look after her. See to her needs. The day Uthman received the news of the victory of the Muslims in Badr, at the same time, Ruqayya passed away. Clash of emotions. So on one side, excitement. Wow, the Muslims have been victorious. 313 overpowered a thousand. And on the same, on, on, on the other side, in Medina Munawwara, what happens? The daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, wife of Uthman, Ruqayya, passes away. Nabi ﷺ returns. And he sees Uthman very sad. He says, Uthman, I see you very sad. 
says, you sad upon the demise of Ruqayya. Because here, take Umm Kulthum. He gave his second daughter in the marriage of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. And when Umm Kulthum passed away, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Uthman, if I had 10 daughters, I would have given them all to you one after the other. Imagine what characteristic he saw in the life of Uthman that he was willing to give his own daughter, not one but two. In the history of the world, there has never been anyone who has married two daughters of one Nabi. Never. This is a speciality of Uthman ibn Affan because of which he is known as Dhunnurain, the possessor of two lights, two daughters of the Prophet. Anyhow, so I was saying, if he was insensitive, do you think the Prophet would have, you know, after one, his wife passing away, he would have got his daughter married again? No. So he said, Your wife passed away. Feel sorry about it. And we wish we would have supported you at that time, but we didn't know. Are you looking to get married? So Abu Wada'a, you know, looked up the teacher and he said to him, you know, yes, I am. Now, throughout today's talk, we've spoke about one thing and we've touched on this again and again. And that is, to, for us, it's a lot about what are people going to say. Now, what I'm going to mention now is very sensitive. The reason I say sensitive is it's a topic which we have to be very careful how we discuss it and why. The reason we're discussing it is to derive a lesson. Um, and that is the topic of the uncle of the Prophet wasallam, Abu Talib. Abu Talib, what did Abu Talib not do for the Prophet of Allah? You tell me. Was there any occasion, anything he didn't do? He spent his wealth on him, he supported him, he guarded him, he protected him, he loved him, he gave him all the support he wanted. And he even said, you know, that I, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam you know, would try and convince him and he would say, Look, you do not need to convince me about your deen. I know that you've come with the best of ways. You're the best of all people. What was it he said? When Abu Talib was leaving the world, the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam entered that room in which he was on his deathbed, about to breathe his last. Abu Jahal on one side and the other, Kuffar and the disbelievers. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam comes to Abu Talib, his uncle, and he says, Uncle, just whisper the kalima once in my ear. Just say, La ilaha illallah once. That's it. I will do the rest with Allah. I'll sort it out. Let me, I will argue your case in the court of Allah. This is the words of the hadith. That leave it to me. I'll deal with Allah. Leave Allah to me. I will convince Allah to do the rest. And sort you out. You just say, La ilaha illallah in my ear. That's it. That's all I want you to do. And Abu Talib said, my nephew, as much as I want to do it. How did he pass away? What are people going to say? What will my community say? And because of this, he passed away on kufr, without iman. This thought and this perception that always runs in our minds, do we realize from this, if we can take a lesson, how dangerous it is? That someone as great and as close to Nabi wasallam who did so much, but there's that one aspect of what are people going to say? It's, that's what he's all about. 
A brother or a sister who wants to remarry now because their spouse and their partner is now late and has left the world or separated. But why? What are people going to say? There's that pressure there. How, how can we do it? How are we going to do it? What are people go- but then you're a human, you've got needs, you need to. But no, we sacrifice this and we become martyrs for the sake of what are people going to say? And we give up our lives. Why? What are people going to say? And uh, this is what's happening. Quran says, Become like people. You do not fear anybody. No criticism, no comments. People can say what they want, they can do what they want. I'm going to be myself and I'm going to do what I think is right to do according to the deen of Allah. Regardless whether people laugh at me, people can joke about me, people can do what they want. Who cares what the community says? It's what Allah says, what His Rasul says, it's what I want to do. I want to be myself. Be yourself. That's what it's about. And this is what nikah should be. That you be yourself. If you can afford only mahar and dowry of 500 pounds and just because your community expects you to give 20,000 pound what you're not going to get married then and that's what's happening that's what's happening because there's a trend and you know this particular hadith uh, the one we're discussing now a lot of the scholars of hadith have actually specified that this is discussing mahar that the most uh, blessed nikah in which that the mahar isn't too extravagant. We're not saying that only give 51 pounds like the Gujaratis do. Okay? Or 151 pounds. Let's change a little bit. Okay? 151 pounds now. Before it was 51. We're not saying do that. Okay? Within your capacity, of course, you're giving it the girl does deserve. She's got a right as well. But then you're trying to get 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 70,000 pounds. Where is the guy going to get this kind of money? How? Where from? And when will they ever end up getting married? Of course, they'll have to try and incur this through a lot of difficulty, or through a loan, or through haram means, or just for the sake of people, you're going to say it in the masjid. Okay? So and so, Chaudhuri Sahib, son is giving. You know, 50,000 pounds. But when the time comes, you're not going to give a penny. And there's going to be fights, there's going to be arguments. Where's the mahar? You didn't give the mahar. Oh, no, that was just, you know, to show people. You know, we've given you this, we've gone, no, 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 we want the mahar. And then there's all fights about this. You got married to the girl, you got married to the mahar. What, you know, what, was, it all, what was it all about? Remember, nikah, what was nikah? Nikah was very simple. None of these things were actually part of it. These are just accompanying things which make it easier to move on. The rest of the thing is customs and things which we've attached and are destroying us. Anyhow, so look at Abu Talib. Back to the story. Abu Wada'a says to his teacher, Sa'id ibn Musayyib, you're offering me to get married. Like, who's going to marry me? Who's going to give their daughter to me? You know, I've been married already and I'm really poor. I don't have anything. He put his hands in his pocket because I've got two dirham. Two dirham. Like, who's going to marry me? Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib Rahmatullah alayhi Now look at this Sa'id ibn Musayyib Rahmatullah alayhi says Abu Wada'a I know someone Who's willing to give their daughter to you Because you do? Because yeah Who is it? Because it's me I want to give my daughter to you He goes what? You're joking You're having a laugh He says no I'm serious He goes no 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 I don't believe you 
really, he was shocked. He was totally shocked. Sa'id ibn Musayyib says that I am willing to give my daughter to you. And this is the teaching of Sharia. When you see someone, you like their deen, two things. You like their religious, religion, religion meaning their piety, you like their deen, and you like their character, personality. The boy or the girl is got sufficient amount of deen. We're not asking for Abdul Qadir Jilani or Rabia Basriya because you don't get them anymore. They've stopped manufacturing them. It's different now. But you know, from the from the level that we've got nowadays, they're decent. They're not total write-off. You know, they've got an understanding of the deen. You like somebody's deen, two things you look for. I know there's a lot of parents, uncles, aunties, grandparents looking, and there's youngsters as well who are not married who are looking. And we've got mashallah some elders as well, I think they're thinking for their seconds as well. So those who are looking, what do we look for in a potential partner? What is it you look for? The Sharia has told us when you like two things. Go for it, don't delay, and don't say no. Two things. Piety, they've got deen in them, an understanding of the deen. Okay, they don't, they don't have to be praying tahajjud all night. And, you know, we don't get that nowadays. According to today's understanding, okay, they, 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 they know the deen, number one. And number two, they've got a good character, good personality. It's, they, they, they've got good akhlaq, they're well mannered. You like the, these are the two things you need to look for. You found these two things in someone, boys found it in a girl, girls found it in a guy, or the parents have found it in somebody, go propose and leave the rest to Allah. If they accept, well and good. If they don't, move on. Don't hold it. Don't hold it against you, thinking, oh, why? You know, so many people in the life of the Prophet, the Prophet proposed for his own family members, even to some of the Sahaba, not all of the Sahaba accepted. Okay, it was for a reason. People came to the Prophet to propose. He sometimes didn't accept. Um, there was, there's cases where women came and proposed themselves to the Prophet. He said, no. And then somebody else, that's another story. So he said, who's going to marry me? I'm an orphan. So there's, I don't really have much support, uh, meaning my father's passed away, and I don't really. I'm very poor. He says I'm willing to give you my daughter. He couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. He was speechless. I've only got two dirhams. Don't worry. That day he was actually fasting, and he'd forgotten that he's fasting as well. Out of shock, he forgot he was fasting. Anyhow, what happens? He goes home. And the Adhan for Maghrib is called. That's when he realized that, oh yeah, I'm fasting. So he looks around in the house. There wasn't even anything to eat. And now he's getting married that day. So he found a little bit of bread and there was some olive oil. So this was his iftar. So he sits down on a little mat he has. And he takes some of the bread and he's having it with the olive oil. And then he goes and performs the salah. Praise Maghrib. Comes back home. And he sits down again and his little bowl with the olive oil and the bread, it's still there. He comes back home and after a few moments he hears knock on the door. Who's come to my house at this time, at this hour? He says, who is it? So the person from outside says, Saeed. Abu Wada'a says, I thought of every single Saeed from our community except for Sayyid ibn Musayyib. His name didn't come to my head. I thought of every single Sayyid. It could be this Sayyid, that Sayyid, that Sayyid, this Sayyid Chacha, this Sayyid Uncle, this Sayyid Bai, whatever. I thought all the Sayyids. Why would they want to come to my house anyway? He says, I opened the door to my amazement, to my shock. 
I saw my noble, respected teacher, Sayyidu Tabi'een, the leader of all the Tabi'een, the greatest after the Sahaba. Remember, this was a man who did not leave Masjid Nabi 40 years. This is a person who didn't go anywhere. He was dedicated to what he would not go. He wasn't a person who traveled and went out and went to people's houses. He was a different person of great caliber. So when he saw him, he was shocked and speechless again. And he said, Ustad, my respected, what are you doing here? I mean, if you wanted anything from me, I would have come to you. You should have just sent someone to call me. I would have come and seen you. He goes, no, this was my need. Thus I came to you. He goes, of course, please come in. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to come in. Like, so what do you want me to do? He goes, I've got an amana and a trust of yours. Of mine? You've got a trust of mine? Because yes. He goes, I was thinking after Maghrib Salah, I was home and I was thinking, you know, your wife has passed away, you are alone and lonely, and you'll need some company. And also now that your nikah is done to my daughter, um, here I've brought her with me. And he ushers her in and pushes her inside. And he says, I'm leaving you with her as an amana. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This was Sa'id ibn Musayyib rahmatullahi alayhi. Abu Wada couldn't believe what was happening. Think like, what is going on? First of all, he couldn't believe that Sa'id ibn Musayyib has given his daughter to him. He didn't think himself worthy. Sa'id ibn Musayyib was not a normal person. So now uh, she's come in the house. And after she comes in the house, uh, he realized that, you know, that was my teacher, my father-in-law. She comes into the house and Saeed ibn Musayyib, um, he thinks like, what do I do now? He looked around and he saw that bowl with the olive oil and the bread. He quickly hid it. But if she sees this, she's going to think like, who have I married? I, I'm such a simple person. I don't really have anything. How am I going to go about? So now what he does, he goes and climbs the roof of the house. And he makes an announcement. He says, guys, brothers, sisters, people of the community, Saeed ibn Musayyib has given his daughter to me in, in my nikah. And I'm now married. Guys, come on, come over. We'll have a party. We'll feast. You're all invited. Now, in our community, if someone invites you last minute, what do we say? What's our reaction? Sometimes it happens. They've got a limited number of guests, okay? They've got 50, 60, 70 guests. Maybe someone's rung them and said, oh, we're not gonna be able to make it. So now they've taken, they've chose you. You're maybe next on the list and they've contacted you and said, here, sorry it's late, but we've given you this invite. Yeah, you probably had leftover invites. And we, we come out with all this kind of stuff. So many formalities, there's no appreciation. And this is our way of thinking. And even the person inviting feels bad, thinking what they're going to say, they might feel bad, just leave it. It's better not to invite them than invite them. And then they said, no, 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 they called us for their thing, so we have to. But they called a thousand people, and we're only calling 50 people. So, no, 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 but then, you know, they're quite, you know, they're, they're quite out there. And if we don't call them, then there's going to be issues. And there's all this going on. Anyhow, so he makes this announcement. There was an old lady, a sister, uh, living on the corner of the street. So she screamed from the one corner. He's on the roof. Everybody's come out to listen to this announcement. She's screaming from one side. What are you talking about? You really think Sayyid ibn Musayyib is going to give you his daughter? Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, who's the Khalifa, the governor, his son, who is now the prince. Okay, the prince has proposed to Sayyid ibn Musayyib's daughter. And they didn't accept the proposal of the prince. You think that your proposal, Sayyid ibn Musayyib is going to accept? Because if you don't believe me, come and see, she's in my house. So the whole community comes 
and they actually realize that wow this is true it's actually happening okay they, they didn't realize how simple and modest a wedding and a nikah can be the mother of Abu Wada'a also comes and says give me permission I'll take your new wife okay we'll get her ready three, give us three days we'll prepare her get her ready adorn her and we'll have a little feast and he says okay go get along with it so this is Abu Wada'a rahmatullah alayh and uh, the you know sometimes you think that is, is it even possible how, how did they he, he, he was in utter shock the youngster came to a sheikh and he said sheikh there's this girl that I really love I want to marry her but my parents are saying no what do I do and we hear this a lot. This is very common as well. There's a girl. I really love her. My parents are saying no. Or her parents are saying no. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one-sided. What do I do? The sheikh replied by saying, that if you're not married to her, how can you love her? If you're not married to her, how can you claim to love her? And the sheikh replied by saying, that the only place love comes before marriage is in the dictionary. Because L comes before M, alphabetically. Otherwise, Islamically, yes, you need to change your phrase, my brother, my sister. You need to change your phrase. You lust her. You lust him. Love is probably the most misunderstood notion, word, and concept today. Love, you know when I say love at first sight, no such thing. Love at first. Ask those who are married. Ask those who are married, and they will explain to you, that even now, after 10, 20, 30 years of married life, even now they're still understanding each other. I don't think a guy will ever understand a woman anyway. And women will probably never understand men as they ought to be understood. It's one of those things. It's the chemistry that, or the way Allah's made it. Every day in married life, in a Muslim healthy relationship, every day is a new adventure. Every day is a new challenge. Yes, if it's healthy and it's active. If it's just dormant and dead, then obviously there's nothing there. But in a healthy, active relationship, you're discovering each other every day. It's a new journey. It's a new experience. And it takes years to create that trust and that bond and that true love, which we find in the lives of Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And this young brother and young sister is saying, oh, I love her so much. Okay, well, what do you know about love? Okay, you've only met a couple of times. You don't even know each other properly. You, you, you've not spent uh, uh, you know, enough time. You, you've, you've not shared any responsibilities. You've not entered into that halal relationship after which you can decide whether you really love each other or not. Anyhow. So, they called the neighbors. The mom came. She said, let me um, prepare. And then the ceremony takes place and then abu wada'a rahmatullah alayh one point he mentions again which is very important says we lived very happily because we were allowed to live without any invasion of our privacy from my parent and her parents Sa'id ibn Musayyib after that day never interfered in our lives. He didn't interfere and say, what's going on? Mother-in-law didn't come over. What's going on? Why have you cooked in this way? Why are your chapatis triangle and not round? Okay, that's not how it works in our house. Okay, why, why is this still left? Why are you coming downstairs at 10 o'clock? You should be up at 6 in the morning doing the chapatis. How lazy is this girl? What kind of girl have we bought in our house? So-and-so's daughter-in-law have you seen? 
By 10 o'clock in the morning, all the laundry is done, all the cooking is done, the hoovering is done. Look at you. Just sit, sitting on the sofa, watching TV all day. This kind of interference. And then to go as far as to go and say things like, you know, so come on, like, how long are you going to take? You're taking too long. You know, come on, so and so, they got married, they've got two children by now. Come on. Why haven't you got a boy yet? How come you've only got daughters? These are comments uttered by our parents, okay, our sisters in our communities who are causing breaking breaks in marriages and destroying the lives of youngsters. Please be responsible. The message to parents. They're married, leave them to it. Let them get on with it. Do not invade. Do not intrude. Let them. Yeah, if there's a need, if it's so bad and there's a need for you to intervene, it's different. Sometimes there are ups and downs. Even in the best of families. The best of families. Could you get a better couple than Ali and Fatima radiallahu anha? Ali radiallahu anhu, who is the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Fatima, the daughter of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Could you get a better union than this? Do you know one day what happened? Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu and Fatima radiallahu anhu had an argument. This is in the books of hadith. So even we will learn from here that it's not wrong to argue and fight. That happens, it's very normal. Some people when they get married and they have their first argument, they say, Oof, I don't think they were right for each other. No, 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 that's very normal. And look at the guys who are married, they're laughing. They've just had an argument before the game. Sometimes you see somebody in the masjid, you think, oh, I don't normally see you at this time. You go, oh, okay, I understand. Ali radiallahu anhu and Fatima radiallahu anha, they had an altercation. They had an argument. They disagreed on something. So Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu walked out of the house. He went. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he came home, he saw that Fatima radiallahu anha wasn't herself. So he said, you know, what's happened? Because yeah, me and Ali had a bit of a fight, you know. And so where's he gone? He's gone to the masjid. He said, I'm going to the masjid. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't. Okay, he didn't stir. He didn't say, yes, you know, let's do this and let's do that. Yeah, he's, he's like this and he's really bad and, you know, we, we should do this. No, 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 no. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't say anything. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went to the masjid. You think he's going to beat Ali up? Or to shout at him, to reprimand him? He's going to beat him up and say, how dare you? This is my daughter. Do you know, you know how to look after her? Is this what? No, no, no. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he went to the masjid. And he saw Ali radiallahu anhu. Ali radiallahu anhu had gone, obviously he needed to cool down a little bit. So what he did was, he went to the masjid. And at that time, you know, there wasn't carpets and all that. So there, it, was, it was all, on one side there was like sand. So Ali radiallahu anhu lied down. He just knocked off. And he was covered in sand and in, in dust. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, do you think he went in angry mode? How we would go? No. He sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in this joyous mood. He didn't want to uh, interfere in the relationship between his daughter and his son-in-law. No, 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 no. He went there and he lightened the mood. He saw Ali was a bit upset and angry. He lightened the mood. And instead of calling him Ali, he said, Qum ya Aba Turab. Oh, dusty man, come on, stand up. Dusty man. He called him. This is what he said to him. Dusty man, come on, dusty man, stand up. Look at you. And this made Ali radiallahu anhu smile because he used a nickname for him instead of calling him his name. He called him, oh, dusty boy or dusty man. 
come on, get up. And then on the way back, they shared some, uh, they had a discussion. It wasn't related to this whatsoever. And by the time Ali radiallahu came home, he was totally calmed down, cool as anything. And he entered the house and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam saw both of them smiling and happy with each other. And the other people saw Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam happy. So somebody asked, O Messenger of Allah, I see you really happy. Why is it that you're so happy today? He says, I'm happy because Allah made me a means of reconciling between two of my most beloved people. That's why I'm happy. And today we have the total opposite. We get a buzz out of breaking people, separating people, creating thoughts and doubts in the minds of sons and daughters. Oh, do this, do that. Don't do this, don't do that. This is how you should do it. No, no, you shouldn't. Stand your ground. Do no, don't interfere. Abu Wada'a says, we were allowed to live in privacy. There was no interference. We were allowed to grow and move on and uh, move on, uh, and carry on with our life. He says, after some time, I came back to the Masjid Nabawi. I came and sat in the gathering of Saeed ibn Musayyib rahmatullah And after everybody left, he told me to stay behind. I stayed behind. And he asked me, uh, how's everything going? Is everything okay? And Abu Wada says, you know, everything's going so well that the only way I can describe it is my well-wishers will be very happy and my enemies will be very jealous if they found out how everything's going. It's going very, very fine, very well, we're very happy. Anyhow, Abu Wada'a says, after some time, I got home. Um, when we got home, uh, I returned home and I found that Saeed ibn Musayb had sent a whole sack full of dirhams and money uh, for us to spend. And he goes, that was a privilege for me, from my teacher, and now who is also my father-in-law, for him to secretly send this and assist us, uh, rather than sort of becoming a barrier and an obstacle, uh, Someone said, Saeed al-Musayyib is really strange. He could have had his daughter married to the prince, but instead he chose to get his daughter married to this poor person who only had two dirham. The other person replied and said, there's nothing strange about Saeed al-Musayyib because Saeed al-Musayyib looked with the inner eye, we are looking with the outer eye. He had the inner eye and the inner understanding that this person will be right for my daughter because the one who recognizes Allah he will recognize the rights of the people as well. And you, outwardly, somebody could be a prince or really well off and have this degree and could be a doctor and an engineer and whatnot. It's an Asian thing, isn't it? it has be, he needs to be a doctor kind of thing. So, no, he looked with the inner eye. We're looking with the outer eye. So this is why Islam has emphasized that we keep it simple. Why, why has Islam emphasized keeping nikah simple? Shall I tell you why? You tell me. After hearing all of this, why is it that the most blessed nikah is the one in which there's least expenses? It's kept as simple as possible. What's the reason? Yes. Yes, of course there's barakah, but why? Why have we been advised to keep it simple? No, yes, the barakah is there. Ji. No one has an excuse that they can't get married, number one, and no one has an excuse to delay. This is the key point. One is, no one has an excuse that they can't get married, okay? And number two, no one has an excuse to delay. Why is it that we're reaching an age, children have reached an age, but yet, why? This is one of the prime reasons. Too many expectations.
un, like we've said, th there are so many expectations. Anyhow, the uh, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam's time in hadith of Sahih Bukhari, a woman came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and proposed, I mentioned to you earlier. A woman came and proposed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and said, O Prophet of Allah, um, if you accept me as your wife, I'm proposing to you. She proposed herself. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he expressed um, the fact that he wasn't interested at the time. He made it clear that, you know, I'm not interested. There was a Sahabi who was listening. I says, oh, Prophet of Allah, if you're not interested, I am. <laughs> so, so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, okay, you have mahar, dowry. There was no lengthy thing. Okay, you're in, let's do the nikah. You're interested? Okay, let's do the nikah. You've got some mahar, dowry. Uh, nikah takes place, you need to have some dowry, you need to give some money. And uh, the mahar is there. So you've got some mahar, dowry. So he says, Oh Prophet of Allah, I don't own a thing. I have nothing, nothing at all. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, In that case, go home and find anything you've got. The hadith says, Walau khataman min hadith. Even if you find a, 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 a ring of steel, an iron ring, a metal ring, which is not even gold or silver. Even if you can find that, go and get something. You need to put something down on the table. So go and find whatever you have. He didn't have anything. Go and find anything. So this uh, Sahabi, he says, Oh Prophet of Allah, I don't have anything. I'm not even going to find this ring. The only thing I have is what I'm wearing. Can I give this? I I'll give my clothes. <laughs> Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi you can't give that. What are you going to wear then? You can't come to the nikah sort of half naked. Okay, it's going to look odd. You need to wear your clothes. You can't give that because that's all I own. I don't own anything else. Now, no one from amongst us is that poor. If it worked for them, it will work for us. And there's a amazing, amazing formula in the Quran, which I'll touch on in a moment. So what happens is he says, look, all I've got is these clothes, nothing else. So now the Prophet was thinking, well, do you think he's going to say to him, well, you can't get married? Was anyone discriminated or isolated and excluded? No, our deen is a deen of inclusion. No, no one's you know, excommunicated or out of our community. No, everyone's involved. So do you know what he said? He said to him, do you know any surahs of the Quran? He goes, yes. So-and-so surah, so-and-so surah. So I, I've done a little bit of hifz. I don't know the whole Quran. I know some surahs of the Quran. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, okay, I'm doing your nikah. And your mahari is whatever you know of the Quran, teach your wife, that's her dowry. Go, you are married. This is in Sahih al-Bukhari. And examples, for every, no one's got an excuse. There is no one who can think, oh, I'm not, I can't afford it, I don't have the money, I don't have the financial stability. That's not an excuse. Everybody can. And you will find someone out there. So this is Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with and in the Quran, in the Quran we find an example where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, In yakunu fuqara, min fadli. That if the husband and the wife, either one of them, if they are fuqara, if they are poor, they're not so financially stable. If the nikah is done correctly, Allah will make them financially independent. This is a promise of the Quran. Don't think that I'm going to become financially stable. I'm going to get a career. I'm going to get a degree. And once I've settled down, then I'll get married. Many youngsters ask, what's first? My career or marriage? 
what do I do? Do I get settled down first? And yes, no girl is want, going to want to get married to someone who's not responsible and won't be able to look after her. That doesn't mean you have to reach the age of 40 or 45. Because when, when, when we say we need to settle down, who's settled down? Ask the people whose beards have gone white. They'll tell you we've still not settled down. We're still paying our mortgage. It's the true reality. We're not talking about mortgages, whether they're right or wrong. That's not the topic. But whoever settles down, when can you say you've settled down and you're done with it? How can you settle down without getting married first? That's the first step. And then you grow together as a young couple and you work together. You start off simply and you have your humble beginnings and you grow like that. No one's going to be a millionaire first and then bring a girl into the marriage. It doesn't work like that. And if somebody is expecting that from somebody, well, your expectations are too high. And sometimes we set very high expectations for us. And because of this, we are causing a delay in our marriage. I'm going to conclude uh, with just a couple of things. Um, we spoke about how to go about finding a spouse and in terms of what to look for. Two main characteristics that you need to be looking for. Whether you're looking for yourself or it's parents looking for their children or other members of the family. One is the deen. And number two is good character and personality. If there's a personality much, nice, good personality, go for it. Do not delay. There is no reason to delay. And if, another, another question number two. If somebody sitting here listening or listening from home or wherever you are in the world. If somebody is currently in a haram relationship, what do you do to make it halal? This is something very normal today. Okay, there will, there will be. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're not going to point anybody out and we don't want to uh, shame anybody. And it's even it's wrong to expose your sin. But there will be people sitting here listening at home, brothers, sisters, who are in a haram relationship. They're dating. They're seeing somebody. Let's face the facts. It's the truth. Parents, whether you like it or not, it could be a possibility. Your son, your daughter is seeing somebody. How are you going to deal with it as a parent maturely? in 2018 we're not in the 1960s remember you're not in india pakistan bangladesh in africa things have changed we need to move on we need to understand this is a serious issue are you going to still be very backwards because people being backwards and cultured do you know what happens there was a young guy who came to an imam and he said that there's a girl um i've been seeing her for some time and she's really good. She's got very good character. She's not a Muslim. She's willing to revert. Okay. She's ready. She knows a lot about Islam. She's a beautiful girl. She's known by many people. Good character. Doesn't have any bad habits. And we get on really well. She's willing to revert as well. Um, Dad, all I want is your blessings. All I want is your blessings. You please. I know. I know it's not what you wanted. I know it's not the ideal. It's not what you thought about. I know you wanted me to get married to X, Y, and Z from you know back home or your niece or whatever it was, right? It's not your ideal girl, but this is what I found, and this is what I'm happy with, and this is what I want. Dad, please. All I want is your blessings. That's all I want. You know what the dad said? Over my dead body, never going to happen. I'll disown you, but never will it happen that you're going to bring a gori into our house. Never. It's not going to happen. He said, Dad, please. Please. And he pleaded with his father for some time. Didn't work. Didn't work. He came to the imam. He spoke to the imam. He explained to the imam. Imam said, I'll speak to your father. I'll explain to him. 
Imam went to the father. Imam gave the father gave the same response over my dead body. It's not happening. No way. No way. He, no way is he going to bring her into this house. We're not accepting it. The mum was okay. She was alright about it. But she had to do what the dad said. And a lot of you can relate with this. Sometimes it's the other way around. Or sometimes the parents are okay, but it's about the grandparents. Okay? They're saying no. Or it's about one, one you know, nasty uncle who's just being really horrible about it. And saying no, I'm... It's... So, do you know what happened eventually? Eventually, they tried so many times in so many different ways. The father said no way. He was very, very stubborn. Eventually what happened was the girl and the guy were obviously talking. She hadn't reverted yet because she had subject. If we get married, then I'm willing to change my religion, become a Muslim. And I'm happy. I know a lot about Islam. It didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. The guy was then introduced to the girl's family members. And they thought, okay, we've taken Islamic advice. Nothing's working. They took advice from the girl's uh, social circle. So they went to a priest. And he said, well, it's very simple. Um, why don't you, if that's not working, you become a Christian and, um, you know, go ahead with it like that. Your father's not listening anyway. You've tried. But why are you sort of trying to compel her? You know what happens in the end? This youngster left Islam because of the stubbornness of the father. Sometimes we don't realize the detrimental effects. He left Islam to get married to him. So you've lost her. She was a potential Muslim. She was about to accept Islam. And this person who was... Do you know what the father said? The father very proudly came into the masjid and was very, very happy. And he says, I don't care what happens to him. As long as that girl doesn't come into my house, I'm happy. Whether he's a Muslim or not. That, no, that, that girl is not coming to my house and she hasn't come into my house. And I'm happy about it. And he cut off from his son. And this is the kind of attitude. Now, this might be a little bit extreme uh, in terms of you know, a, a revert being involved and somebody changing their religion. But this is what happens, is when we don't support our children in their wants, as long as they're not doing something which is violating the Sharia totally, as long as the, the, the person they found is, is suitable, okay, it might not be from your caste, might not be from your relatives, might not be from some people. Be open to it. It's an option. Other people have done it. It's a possibility. Islam doesn't bind you that you have to get married to someone from your own community. It has to be a Gujarati, or it has to be a Pakistani, or it has to be a Bengali. Not necessarily. There's nothing like that in Islam. So Islam doesn't bind. We've made these things binding, and then this is what's happening. So if somebody is currently in a haram relationship, you need to make that halal. You need to make the choice. There's two options here. Option one, are you going to get married to her? That's the first question. A lot of people are doing it for the fun of it. They're not serious. It's not a serious relationship. They're doing it for the fun of it. They're just dating. They have no intention to marry. If that's the case, cut off now. Let go. Because you're destroying your life. You're destroying her life. Think about her more than you. You might move on. But she needs to get married. And that's going to be a, a great stain on her life. If it comes up later on that she was dating a guy, that could destroy her. And even you as well. Maybe other women, girls might not want to get married to you because you've had a past. So let go. And if you want to get married, then don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till what the community says. 
You, the first step you need to take is you need to break it out to your parents. And if your parents already know, you need to break it out to the girl's parents. And if they don't know, or either one of them know, some of them know, some don't know, well, you need to think of a way by approaching maybe somebody responsible, somebody who your parents are close to, and you need to speak to them gently, softly, in a nice way. If they accept it, alhamdulillah, don't wait for the cook, okay? Don't wait for X, Y, and Z. Bismillah, as soon as possible. You're already seeing each other. How much longer are you going to invite the wrath of Allah? Make it halal. If you want, if you want to do all this, you know, X, Y, and Z, fine. But just do the nikah first. Parents need to realize a lot of our kids are already living as a husband and wife live. They might be staying at your house, but the rest of the time they are meeting just like a husband and wife would. They're probably more closer than you are to your wife. It's no offense. Talking about the traditional parents, okay, who have the sort of servitude kind of thing. Uh, you know, mom has to wake up in the morning, make the tea, make sure the food is all hot. Okay, there's no sort of affection there. There's no clear love that the way the youngsters understand it. Okay, their love was very different. And their marital bond was very strong. You could get elders will tell you, 70 years we've been married. 80 years we've been married. Today, if somebody lasts for two years, you should need to give him a trophy. MashaAllah. It's true. It's true. In this climate, somebody last two years, you've been married. Wow, that's an achievement. Our elders, you know, their relationship was different. It might not be all lovey-dovey as we see. Hey, you know, <laughs> anyway. So that, that's just how they did it. But parents, please, times have changed. This is a, you know, a humble request to the parents. Please have some understanding and understand what they're going through. And you know, you may need to come down a level. You might need to give up a few of the things that you've held on fast to for the sake of your children. And children, youth, as much as Islam advises us to look up to our parents, to respect them, to obey them, and we need their blessings. However, if for example, you are in a relationship, they're becoming a total obstacle. They're not allowing you whatsoever. And you can't see any way besides this because you know that if you do get many a times parents force a, a guy or a girl to get married to somebody else. There's no love in that marriage. They've done it for the sake of their parents. On the side, they're still seeing who they are. Parents sometimes know about this. But because of community, what are people going to say? Okay, and that pressure, they're happy. They'd rather their son or daughter carry on doing zina. And parents, I, I, you know, your children, a lot of times, the things they can't come and tell you, they come and tell us. I'm telling you very clear and very open. Okay, many girls in our company, you know, you're stopping your daughter from getting married. She's had an abortion twice. Twice she's already had, how long are you going to carry on? And you're still going to say no and force her to get married to somebody she doesn't want. She's already been pregnant with the guy twice and you don't know anything about it because you're not open, you're not willing to listen. You've not made that effort. Times have changed, things are different. Please be understanding. We need to keep a special bond with our youth, with our children. It's about understanding. Understand them, understand their needs, their wants, spend time with them, be open with them. Try and be as open as you can so that they don't go to other people, they come to you. I end upon this, that lessen our demands, lessen our demands. Let go of our ego and things from back home and the way people did things. Look through the lens of your son or your stand in their shoes and think how they feel today. It's different. 
times have changed. Their wants and desires are different to how you did it back home. We are still pushing our ideas sometimes onto our children. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. Uh, I end on the hadith once again, reminding us of the saying of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which was, that the Prophet ﷺ has said, the nikah in which there is the most blessing. Which one is it? The one which is the most simple. Keep it as simple as possible. Yes, you want to have a few things here and there, that's fine. According to your capacity. If you can afford it, yes, do it. Yes, this is an important point. Sorry, I said I was going to end. Very important point. This is to the parents again. And also the youngsters, because you're going to be parents soon as well. Do you know the amount of money we're spending on our weddings? Do you know where that money should go? One of two places. I'm talking about the extravagant money. The thousands. A nikah should not go into thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. Yes, Allah has given you wealth. You've spent a decent amount of money. You bought something nice. You've had nice food. You invited people that you needed to. You had a decent venue. Okay, None of the extra things because they're not for you anyway. It's for the people. None of that. You've done it within Islam. You've done how much you could afford. You didn't have to go and get a loan or borrow money of people or incur a debt. You've done how much you needed. Do you know all the other thousands of pounds? My dear parents, I advise you. Give that money to your children to put down for a deposit for their first home. Take this advice on board. Take that money. Everyone is struggling. New couples are all struggling today. The best thing you can do once you get your child, your son married off, is for him to be able, you to be able to support them where you thought rather than having a lavish, extravagant wedding in which people are only going to complain, they're going to say, oh, the food was too oily, or it wasn't tasty, or this was like that, or the seating was like this, or so-and-so, he didn't even look at me, he didn't even, they, all they're going to do is complain. Instead of that, that 20, 30, 40, 50,000 pound, instead of doing that, and even the mahar, those of you who are keeping mahar in these thousands of pounds, why don't you use that money for something that's useful? Put it down as a deposit for a house, at least this young couple, you've given them a head start. Or give it to them to spend on themselves, rather than spending on the community and everybody else. Give it to them, let them do what they want with it. They can go on holiday with it. They can go on their honeymoon, they can do what they want. Oh, this is the best advice. And coupled with this is, it's ideal that they've got married, give them separate accommodation. A lot of the fitna which is caused today is forcing forcing girls to stay together those who want to stay happily those who want to stay happily and they are happy there they're happy at the in-laws well and good mashallah i give it to you um you know you're happy with it that's fine but for those who've okay we understand when you get married straight away not everybody has the means so you might want to stay for a few months or a year or two but to make that as a binding thing despite the girl doesn't want to be there because at the end of the day, some of the houses here are not massively big. Some people are going to say, you know, don't say this, it's going to cause fitna. What about the fitna which is being caused in all these homes, where these girls are living as mazloom? Zulm is being done on these girls. Why this girl is not allowed to wake up at the time she wants to? Why? Because there's a demand. Not for her husband, the rest of the family, she's expected. She has to give up her life, 
sacrifice her own children's need, her own husband's need, her own needs. Why? Because she's a martyr for the family. Did the girl get married to the boy or did she get married to the family? She got married to the boy or got married to the house? And many a times in marriages like this what happens? That because this woman, she's woken up in the morning, she can't see her husband because she's too busy. She has to make breakfast for the whole family. Okay, she's finished the breakfast now, chapati time. Okay, why is it not like this? Why is it not like this? How come it's like this? So she's busy. And now it's time to cook. So she's cooking away. Cooking finished, time for the laundry. The husband's come home, she's busy making the evening meal. Husband thinks, well, my wife is so busy here, she's got so many duties. I'll go out with my friends. I'll go and do this. I'll go and do that. So the husband and the wife are not even allowed time. If she goes up for a moment, why is she always upstairs? How come she doesn't come and sit in the family room? Why does she do... So this interference, and something, some things are private, okay? And some things need to be said. In terms of intimacy, how embarrassing for a girl, okay? That everyone in the house knows every time she goes for a shower. It's something to think about. Our house is not huge. It's, if we were living in a mansion, okay, and a huge house is where there's different apartments and areas, it's different. But within the small arrangements, I, like I said, those who are happy, Hazrat Mawlana Ashraf Ali Thanwi Rahmatullah and other great scholars when discussing this, they said, this is the mas'ala, this is the fatwa. Somebody said, Hazrat, if you mention this mas'ala in the masjid, there will be fitna. He says, there will be no fitna. Fitna is already happening. He goes, some people say, Ke we live separately, sirf khana saath mein hota hai. Hazrat Thanwi Rahmatullah Ali says, wahi to garbar hoti hai. He goes, my advice is from the beginning, if you can separate them, there will be more love, there will be more respect. And those who've been through it know, those who know, know that once that relationship between daughter-in-law, mother-in-law, father-in-law, son-in-law becomes sour, then it remains sour for the rest of your life. If from the beginning you can prevent it, and it's within your means that you keep a, a, a reasonable distance in your private life, there will be much more love, there will be much more bond, there will be much more respect for the boundaries. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open our minds. Remember, this is Islamic advice. What advice you've been given is cultural. And I think it's only within our Asians. I don't think these other communities have this expectation. Allahu alam, I don't know. Uh, other people can correct me, you'll know. But it's more, it's more of an Asian thing, coming from where we come back from back home, where there's this expectation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding. Wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.